Super Bowl Sunday. Wow. 150 million television sets will be tuned in to watch two teams slug it out on the gridiron. Most of you don't need to watch it because your team has already been eliminated. <laughs> I gave up hope several weeks back. It's amazing to me how passionate people are for sporting events. Isn't that true? I mean, they dress up in all the team colors and buy the memorabilia. I went online looking just into that kind of, of theme. And, and one website said that the, the sports memorabilia industry is now a billion-dollar industry in the United States. That's just incredible. That's a lot of coffee mugs and, and shirts and caps and, and all that kind of stuff. But people are passionate about their sports teams. They really get into it. The Red Sox is a team that ha captured my heart from my childhood, continues to capture them. I realize I'm getting arrows at the moment from, from a few of you, but that's okay. The Red Sox. There's always next year for the Red Sox. But Fenway Park is an amazing place to see a baseball game. That great big green monster there over the right shoulder of the pitcher, just virtually right behind him. And in that green monster is the oldest mechanical scoreboard still in operation. Two individuals are inside that metallic wall, moving the numbers to keep up with the score, both of that game and scores going on around the league. And it is such a coveted position for Red Sox fans, listen to this, that if you even want to have your resume looked at to be considered to be one of the two inside that hot wall where the only way you see the game is through a thin slit in the wall, it is a 50-year wait before they will even look at your resume. 50 years! When someone has a child born, they send the resume in <laughs> in hopes that by the time they retire, they, someone will give a look at it. That's incredible. That kind of passion, that kind of passion for a sports team. Well, if sports is not your thing, maybe there's hobbies that have captured your passion. People get involved in all kinds of hobbies, woodworking and, and pottery, ceramics and painting and, and on and on. There are all kinds of hobbies that occupy people's time and attention and their passions. Or maybe if it's not sports or it's not a hobby, maybe it's collectibles. Some kind of trinket that you begin to collect and then everywhere you go, you, you have to have another trinket from that place where you've been and pretty soon one shelf's not enough, then two shelves are not enough, then a glass face cabinet's not enough. Pretty soon you have a room full of collectibles. And when someone comes to visit you, you take them in there and you, you bring them through your private shrine and they politely nod and say, isn't that nice? Because they don't share your passion. And for 
When people don't share your passion, they don't understand. I mean, they think you're over the top. They, they think you're kind of nuts. You're consumed by whatever this, whatever this is that has captured your passion. They just don't understand. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12, page 1136, because I want to speak with you this morning about passion. I want to speak with you about passion, not passion for a sports franchise, not passion for a collectible, not passion for a hobby, but passion for the Lord Jesus Christ that manifested in our manifests itself in our lives and in very pronounced ways. Romans chapter 12. We are looking here at verses 9 through 21 as part of a series about love. In this section of the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul is giving us a very detailed description of what biblical love looks like. What love in the heart of a transformed person really looks like. One who has been redeemed by the grace of God, who is no longer a slave to their own sin and passion, but now his passion has been captured by the glory of Jesus Christ. What does that life look like? And here in verses 9 through 21, we find 12 main ingredients for that kind of love. We said that this is like a recipe. And a recipe, in order to come out correctly, in order for the cake to come out correctly, all the various components of the recipe have to be in proper balance. You can't leave any of them out, and you can't use inferior quality ingredients and get the desired outcome. So Paul has laid them out for us here in verses 9 through 21. Some of these ingredients apply to love inside the body of Christ, and some of them apply to love outside the body of Christ. Again, this morning, we are looking at an ingredient of love inside, primarily inside the body of Christ. By way of review, again, for you, beginning in verse 9, let me just read. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In these three verses, we find five of the ingredients of love. Verse 9, two of them are there. That is, first, that love must be sincere without hypocrisy, he says. And then it must be discerning, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Last week, we noticed in verse 10, two other aspects of love. That it is first to be affectionate, and then secondly, it is to be respectful. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Here in verse 11, for us this morning, there is one additional ingredient, and that is that love must be passionate. Biblical love must be passionate. And Paul describes it for us here in verse 11 with three expressions. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord. These are three aspects of what it means to have a passionate love for Jesus Christ that shows itself in a passionate love for others. 
On your bulletin, I've given you an outline. And I want to look at this verse with a three-word outline, just a word to hang your thoughts on as we go through this. And that is that passionate love shows itself in action. Passionate love shows itself in attitude. And passionate love shows itself in accountability. So it is action, attitude, and accountability here in verse 11. So let's look quickly at action, the action of passionate love. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. Literally, in diligence, not lazy. In diligence, not lazy would be a very literal translation of what the Apostle Paul is saying. In fact, the word that is translated here, not lagging behind, could easily be translated lazy and is used in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to what is known as the sluggard. The sluggard is the lazy man. And so what Paul is saying here is that in diligence, don't be a sluggard. Don't be a sluggard. Passionate love has no place with sluggards. Our pursuit of the Christian life, beloved, requires diligence, Paul is saying. It requires diligence. The word diligence itself is perhaps a word that is not common in our vocabulary today. Parents use it sometimes with their children. You need to be more diligent. But, but sometimes I think our kids look at us and they go, okay, but they don't know what it really means to be diligent. And maybe you don't know what it means to be diligent this morning either. So let me give you a simple definition. To be diligent is to be persistent. It is to be persistent. It has the idea of a long, steady application to a single occupation. That is, whatever you are doing, that you do it for a long period of time and you keep your nose to the grindstone. You do not lose your focus. You do not lose your way. You are persistent and you are diligent. Simply said, diligence is an active word. It is an active word. Specifically here in verse 11, when Paul says in diligence, not lazy or not lagging behind, he's referring back to the the commandment in verse 10 to be affectionate and respectful. With regard to our requirement to be affectionate with one another in the body of Christ, to be respectful, to outdo one another in offering and giving honor to the other believers, we are to be diligent, we are to be persistent in doing that. But there is a wider application beyond that to the Christian life as a whole. If I can simply say it for you, beloved, with regard to the Christian life, the Apostle Paul would say to you and he would say to me, don't be lazy. Simply put, do not be lazy. It is incompatible with a transformed life. Don't lag behind. When I read this and was meditating on this command, I could not help but think back to my college years and my endeavors in athletics. I played ice hockey in college and as part of tryouts for the college hockey team, there were lots of of exercise before you ever saw the ice. 
lots of running. And at the end of a lengthy practice, the coach would always say, run. And everybody would take off in a pack. And we had this route around the city that we had to run. And his rule was that he would finish his paperwork and he would take it back to the office and then he would run the circuit. And anybody he passed along the way had to run it a second time. So everybody took off running. And he was just a short little fellow. I hate running. So I would find myself starting out with the pack, but over time, the stragglers begin to stretch out. You know what I'm talking about. And over time, you get fall further and further. You're lagging behind the pack. And pretty soon, you hear some heavy breathing behind you. And you look over the shoulder, and about 50 yards away is that short little hockey coach. And he's gaining on you, and it's amazing how motivated you get (laughs) at that point in time. And you begin to pick up the pace. Life is full of starters. What we lack are finishers. We lack finishers. Beloved, there is no virtue in beginning a marathon. The virtue is 26 miles later when you cross the finish line. The world is full of starters. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Plenty of people say, Lord, I will serve you. But who can find one 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later still serving Christ? Not lagging behind in diligence. Not lazy in the Christian life, he says. You know, for a, for a mind that has been transformed by the grace of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a mind that has been transformed, it is absolutely incompatible to to nourish thoughts that say, how little can I do and still get by? How little can I do and still get by in the Christian life? How little inconvenience will I have to put up with and still follow Christ? If you find yourself this morning asking questions like that, you're asking all the wrong questions. All the wrong questions. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. It says, He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Wow. Do you know your personal involvement in this fellowship or lack thereof is is doing one of two things? If I can just be that direct with you. You are either by your involvement helping to advance the cause of Christ in this place and through this body, or you are hindering it. You are either advancing the cause or you are hindering it. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in show where you are going. One commentator reflecting on that said this, and I quote, Whatever we do for the Lord must be done in this life. Close the quote. Because there is nothing that we can do for Him beyond this. 
You have been redeemed by Christ. You have been transformed by Christ. You have been transformed to have an active love. An active love. Where do we need to show diligence in our Christian life? Well, let me suggest just a few for you. Places where we need to show diligence. Number one, Bible reading and prayer. Simple stuff. Bible reading and prayer. Listen to this statement over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, be diligent. There's that word. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. We need to be diligent in our time in the scriptures. Not a haphazard Bible reading schedule where I read it one day and I don't read it the next and then I might get to it and then I might not. We need a diligent application of the scriptures to our lives and we need a diligent life of prayer. Simple stuff. We need to be diligent in our participation in the life of the church, secondly. Diligent in our participation in the life of the church is not an option. When the body gathers, we're to be here. And we're to be here because we need it and everyone else needs us. We're to be diligent in our ministry involvements. There's the old joke, good enough for government work, right? We've all heard that joke. Well, there's a, there's a corollary to it. Good enough for church work. How is it that we will work hard and excel in the business world and then when it comes to the life of the church, we're slipshod. We let it go on by. We don't care. There's no room for such things. We're to be diligent. We're to be persistent. We're to, to maintain focus in a long direction with regard to loving each other with affection one for another. It's to be a persistent Application of truth in our lives. We're to outdo each other in showing honor and respect, and we need to be diligent in doing it. A life transformed by Christ is a life of passion and a passion that shows itself in action. Secondly, it is a passion that shows itself in attitude. Verse 11 again, Romans 12. Not lagging behind, not falling back, not lazy in diligence, but secondly, fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. The verb, Greek verb here is literally to boil, B-O-I-L, to boil or to seethe, to boil or to seethe. Christ-like love, beloved, it captures not just our emotion or our intellect, but it captures our emotions as well. There is to be a burning, a boiling, a, a bubbling up within our heart with a love of Jesus Christ and a love that flows over to those who are made in His image. It inflames our emotions. It inflames our desires. It inflames our passions. We boil in our soul the truth the gospel, and the desire to minister it. Acts chapter 18, verse 25. Don't turn there, just listen. The same expression is applied to a man by the name of Apollos. It says, this man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being boiling in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. This man, Apollos, was so boiling over with love that he, everywhere he went, he spoke about Christ. Boiling over in the man's heart. That's the kind of passion we should have. 
The great reformer John Knox said, Give me Scotland or I die! That's passion. That's passion. When's the last time we have ever said, God, give me upland or I die? We need passion. We need passion. Paul had passion. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor. Kapiapo, it's, it's the idea of growing weary in the labor, striving, agonizing according to his power which mightily works in me. The Apostle Paul, ministry was not just something he did on the side in his spare time. It consumed his soul. It needs to consume ours, too. It needs to consume ours. But, beloved, the pot doesn't boil, does it? The pot doesn't boil for many of us. Or maybe it begins to boil and and then it cools. You know, a phenomena I have noticed with regard to boiling pots is if you have a pot of water on the stove and you're boiling it to put spaghetti in, but you real and then realize you don't have enough water in the pot. So you add more cold water in what happens? You lose the boil. You lose the boil. And that is an illustration of what keeps us from boiling. What prevents me from boiling for Christ What keeps you from boiling for Christ? It is worldly corruption. It is worldly corruption. It is adding into our lives the crud of this world. And it diminishes the heat and flame for Christ. Just like adding cold water to a boiling pot quenches the boil. So when we do not resist worldly corruption, the boil in our heart begins to cool. Men, let me speak to you as clearly and as directly as I can. If you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with lust, one peek at pornography will quench a month's worth of spiritual devotions. One peek and a month's worth has been put aside. No passion, no flame in your heart anymore. You wonder why you go hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. It's because you're taking in crud. You need to stop. You need to stop. We resist the boiling because we do not stay close to the fire of His Word. We treat His Word casually. We don't understand that it is what stokes our soul and it flames us. We avoid the heat of his people. We avoid the heat of his people. You put a pile of coals in a barbecue grill and you stack them up, right? You pour in that lighter fluid, you throw in the match and the fire goes up and those coals start to glow. They glow and they're red hot. Reach in there with a pair of tongs and pull one of those red hot coals out, huh? Set it down on the pavement beside you and you watch. It won't take long before that coal is no longer growing red hot. You leave it out there long enough and it's dead. 
We need each other. We need to be together. I need you. You need me. We need to be together and flaming one another for Jesus Christ. Passion. Passion. Where's the passion of your heart this morning? What makes your pulse race? What turns you on? What occupies your thinking? What do you wake up in the morning thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? Driving in the car, what's in your mind? What comes out of your mouth? What fills your heart? Where's your passion? Is it for a couple of football teams? Is it for a pile of collectible junk that you're going to leave in a garage sale someday? Where is your passion? And where's mine? It's got to be for Christ. It has got to be for Christ. Attitude. Passionate attitude. Third is accountable. Accountable. Passion has to be Accountable. It cannot be a wildfire that burns without control. It has to be an accountable passion for Christ. And this is where the balance comes. Third expression, verse 11, serving the Lord, serving the Lord. The verb transfer translated here, serving is the, the same verb from which we get doulos or slave. We are to be a slave to Jesus Christ. He is our master. He is the one who determines our direction and our destiny. True religious passion should lead to a heart of determined and obedient service to Christ. We exist to do the master's will. That's it. Why did he not take us to glory the moment he saved us? Why has he left you here? Why has he left me here? He's left me here to do his bidding, to do his will. Serving the Lord. It refers to a very practical commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Simply as that. Serving the Lord that is practically committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our passion, our enthusiasm for ministry must be humble or tempered by a humble slave-like service to God. Listen to the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. Again, don't turn there, just listen. This is there, the end of Paul's third missionary journey. He has, he has called the elders of the church at Ephesus to himself, and he's, he's giving them last instructions. And he says to them, and when they came to him, he said, You know yourselves, know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord, he says, and there's that expression. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I served Christ like a slave to his master. Slave to his master. Doing Jesus' work, Jesus' way. Paul was not out winging it, making it up. Paul himself, great missionary church planter, was a man under authority. 
He was commissioned by the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13. When he finishes his missionary journeys, he reports back to the church, Acts chapter 14, verse 26. Acts chapter 15, verse 38. He comes back and he reports into the church because the church is in authority over this man. He's a man whose heart is filled with zeal for God. Yet he's still a man under authority. He is a man who understands what it means to serve, to be a slave. Beloved, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. No Lone Ranger Christians. No self-appointed prophets or apostles. It is the work of God. And it occurs in the context of a local assembly. It occurs in the context of a local assembly. It is the local church that is God's ordained means to reach the world. And it is the local church that is involved in helping us shape our ministry. It is the church of God that assesses our giftedness. It is the church of God that affirms our giftedness. It is the church of God that facilitates our ministry. Otherwise, we have passion run wild. We have people going here and there saying, I'm doing this for Christ and I'm doing that for Christ. And how dare you question what I'm doing? Everybody's on their own. You know, it's easy to get out in front of God. It is easy to get out in front of God, to let your zeal, to let your enthusiasm carry you away. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're involved in ministry, if you are involved in ministry, Hold it with your hands open. Hold your ministry with your hands open. Because you know what? It's not your ministry. It is not your ministry. It is the ministry of Jesus Christ through you. He has given it to you as a stewardship. And he may withdraw it from you at any moment. But the problem is we hold ministry like this. Right? It's my ministry. How dare you criticize my ministry? How dare you say my ministry? You know what happens when the tighter you squeeze something? The tighter you squeeze it, the less you'll have. Take a great big handful of jello and squeeze it hard as you can. Then open your hand and see how much you got. We need to We need to have an open hand with what God is doing to us and through us. We are his servants. We are the servants of Jesus Christ. And we operate in the context of a local body. There is wisdom in this, beloved. And the prudent take it to heart. Christian love, love produced by a transformed life by the grace of God, is a life of action. It is a life of action. Not falling behind, not lagging behind, not lazy in the things of the Lord. It is also a life of passion. It is a life of passion. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything more valuable than Jesus Christ? What would you give your life for? If it is not Christ, let that grip your soul and let it turn up the flames until you are boiling over with passion for Christ and his work.
And then let that heat be managed and tempered by an understanding that you are, at the end of it all, but a humble slave. But a humble slave. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. I was provoked by this passage this week. I hope that the Spirit of God has provoked you too. Let's pray. Lord God, I confess the coldness of my own heart. I confess to you, our Father, that there are times when I'm going through the motions, just cranking it out. Lord God, when I have not been consumed with a passion for Christ. When I've allowed the things of this world to dim my vision. Oh, Lord. Help me. For my brothers and sisters in Christ as well, who struggle in these ways. Whose lives are out of balance whose hearts are not burning hot for Christ or who somehow see themselves as independent of your ordained organism here on earth, the church. But Father, we can so easily fall into every one of these snares, but Lord, help us, deliver us. My brother Jim spoke of early the opportunity To cry out in this community is great. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, help us to love as Christ has loved us. We pray in his name. Amen.